Welcome to the Perfect Puzzle. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you that we can study your word. Lord, I ask you to help me to teach your children. Father, that you would open our hearts, minds, souls, spirit, and body to your word. That our needs might be met through the intercession of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And that you would uh, carry the words that you have for me to speak, Lord, to, to your list, to to the listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are about to embark on a study of the most misunderstood book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Uh, You know, in John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, said I, that he shall take of mine, and he shall show it to you. Here he's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, in the book of Revelation, we are seeing Jesus glorified. We are seeing the work of the Holy Spirit through the pen of John. And as we get into this book, you're you're going to come to understand a lot of things. And we're going to diverge a little. We're going to jump around in the Bible. We're going to look at uh, Daniel a great deal, the book of Daniel. We're going to look at some Psalms. We're going to look at Isaiah. Uh, We're going to look at some more of the prophets. You know, one of the reasons that we recently studied all those Old Testament dusty prophets that we think, you know, at times didn't say anything that apply to us at all that they talked a lot about the thing this book is about. You know, and, you know, the Bible can be broken down into the following sections when it comes to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we see Christ in prophecy. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Christ in history. In the book of Acts, we see Christ in the church. In the letters of Paul, the letters of John, Peter, Jude, uh, the epistles as they're called, we see Christ in the Christian experience. But here in the apocalypse, we see Christ in coming glory. You know, and the revelation is actually given to Jesus. It's not given to the Apostle John. And that's seen in the first two verses of this book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bore record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. You know, if you really want to begin a serious study of the Bible, this is the book you should start with. Everything that's begun in Jesus in Genesis, I'm sorry, is consummated in the book of Revelation. This book describes the catastrophic end crisis of the present age. It details the reappearance of the King of Kings and his global empire. It tells us about the interment of Satan in the abyss. We get a description of the millennial earth reign of Christ along with the final insurrection and the abolition of sin. We see a new heaven and a new earth are created. This book, among all other books in the Bible, it has a unique promise. In verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written herein. 
for the time is at hand. You know, I've studied the Bible for a long time, and there's, I've made some unique discoveries. You know, the Bible consists of 66 separate books, if you take out the Apocrypha, penned by over 40 authors over a period of several thousand years. But together, they constitute an integrated message system. And it can be demonstrated that the origin of this message is from outside of our dimensions of space and time. And there are several central themes of the Bible. The Old Testament is an account of a nation. New Testament is the account of a man. Where the Creator became man, his appearance is the central event of all history. He died to purchase us. And he's alive now. I think one of the most astounding things for you to ponder over is there's a man sitting on the throne of God now at his right hand. And the most exalted privilege you can have is to know him. And that's really what the Bible is all about. Now, when you come to this book, or you come to any book of the Bible, there are certain presuppositions that you must adopt if you're going to understand what you're reading. Number one, God means what he says, and God says what he means. Number two, the Bible is an integrated whole. Every detail is there by design. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Nothing in the Bible is trivial. All things are for our learning, as Paul wrote in Romans 15, 4. God, number four, is his own interpreter. And here I want to, you know, just stop and remind you about what Acts 17.11 says. And it's something to always bear in mind and remember. With anything I tell you, or for anything anyone else says to you, for that matter, when it comes to things of the Bible, of God, of Jesus Christ. Now, Acts 17.11 tells us, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. This is where Brother Luke warns you. Don't believe anything that Michael Cox says to you until you check it out for yourself. Now in Greek... The word revelation means unveiling. It means the showing forth of something that was previously hidden. And as I said before, it's a consummation of all things. It's the only book that promises a special blessing to the reader. The only book in the Bible that promises a special blessing to the reader. It has only, it, there's only 404 verses in this little book. But in those 440 verses, there are 800 allusions and direct references to the Old Testament. That's too perverse on average. And it presents the climax of God's plan for man. Now John, the author of Revelation, is also the man who wrote the Gospel of John and the three epistles. First John which really is a sermon on love. Then there's Second John. Second John may be a personal letter to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Third John appears to be a personal note to a person named Gaius. Now John was born in Bethsaida, 
to Zebedee and Salome. Not the Salome of Herod's story. Uh, he was a Galilean fisherman and a business partner with Peter and Andrew. Uh, Peter and Andrew were brothers. Uh, he was an early disciple of John the Baptist, and he seems to be well connected with a high priest. Uh, and with Nicodemus, look at John chapter 18, verse 15. John was one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He was present for the transfiguration in Matthew 17, the raising of uh, Jairus' daughter in Matthew 9:18, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, and the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26:37. From the cross, Jesus assigned him to take care of his mother. John 19.26 A church tradition said that he ultimately retired to Ephesus after returning from exile on the island of Patmos. Now Patmos itself is a small island. It's about 6 miles by 10 miles. It's located 40 miles from Miletus and 24 miles off the coast of Turkey. You'll have to get a map to see that. Uh, Present day Turkey. Uh, John was exiled by Domitian, who was, who ruled the uh, Roman Empire from 81 to 96 AD. Now, Domitian was the brother of Titus, the one who destroyed Jerusalem. And according to Irenaeus, who lived in the 2nd century, Revelation was written by John while exiled to Patmos during the reign of Domitian. Now, Irenaeus, Clement, and Eusebius those three historians and church historians, they wrote after Domitian died that John returned to Ephesus, went to the churches, appointed leaders, and set things in order. Now, before we get really into the book, there are four, I want to let you know, there are four alternative views to, to this book. Uh, there's the preterist. Uh, this view is divided into two different but similar views. The name comes from the Latin preter, P-R-E-T-E-R, which means past. Full preterists believe that all the prophecies found in Revelation were fulfilled in A.D. 70, that we're now living in the eternal state, or the new heavens and the new earth. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, when I look around, it's not so you could tell. Partial preachers believe that most of the prophecies of Revelation were fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem, but that chapters 20 to 22 point to future events, such as a future resurrection of believers and return of Christ to the earth. Now, partial preachers, they look at full preterism as heretical, since it denies the second coming of Christ. It teaches an unorthodox view of the resurrection. Now, the second view is historical. Now, this view teaches that Revelation is a symbolic representation that presents the course of history from the Apostles' life through the end of the age. The symbols in the Apocalypse correspond to events in the history of Western Europe, including various popes, the Protestant Reformation, the French Revolution, and rulers such as Charlemagne. Most interpreters place the events of their day in the later chapters of Revelation. Now, many who hold this historical view view chapters 1 to 3 as seven periods in church history. The breaking of the seals in chapters 4 to 7 symbolized the fall of the Roman Empire. 
The trumpet judgments, as we get into chapters 8 through 10, are going to represent the invasions of the Roman Empire by the Vandals, Huns, Saracens, and Turks. Now, among Protestant historicists of the Reformation, the Antichrist in Revelation was believed to be the papacy. Chapters 11 to 13 in Revelation represent the true church and its struggle against Roman Catholicism. And the bold judgments of Revelation 14 to 16 represent God's judgment on the Catholic Church, culminating in the future overthrow of Catholicism depicted in chapters 17 to 19. Now, this third view is idealist or allegorical. Now, the first view of Revelation that here is the idealist view or the spiritual view. Now, this view uses the allegorical method to interpret the book of Revelation. Or, in other words, they look at it as an allegory. The allegorical approach in Revelation was introduced by the ancient church, Father Oregon, uh, AD, who lived one, uh, AD 185 to 254. Then it was made prominent by Augustine, who lived from 354 to 420 AD. Now, according to this view, the events of Revelation are not tied to specific historical events. The imagery of the book symbolically presents the ongoing struggle throughout the ages of God against Satan and good against evil. In this struggle, the saints are persecuted and martyred by the forces of evil, but will one day receive their vindication. In the end, God is victorious and his sovereignty is displayed throughout ages. Now the futurist view is the fourth one. This takes Revelation as being literal. Now, this view teaches that the events of the Olivet Discourse and, the Revel and Revelation chapters 4 to 22 are going to occur in the future. Futurists divide the book of Revelation into three sections. Those three sections are indicated in chapter 1, verse 19. What you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Chapter 1 describes the past, what you have seen. Chapters 2 to 3 describe the present and what is now, or the present during the time John was living. And the rest of the book describes future events, what will take place later. This is a literal approach to interpreting Revelation. Chapters 4 to 19 refer to a period known as the seven-year tribulation. That's, uh, you can... Compare that to the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27. During this time, God's judgments are actually poured out upon mankind as they're revealed in the seals, trumpets, and bowl judgments. Chapter 13 describes a literal future world empire headed by a political and religious leader represented by the two beasts. Chapter 17 pictures a harlot who represents the church, the church global, in apostasy. Chapter 19 refers to Christ's second coming and the battle of Armageddon, followed by a literal thousand-year rule of Christ upon the earth in chapter 20. Now, chapters 21 to 22 are events that follow the millennium, the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, and the arrival of the heavenly city upon the earth. Now, I believe that I'm going to use in this study 
the futurist view because that's the, I believe it's the correct view to have. In fact, I take the Bible quite literally. And, you know, when I've made mistakes in interpreting what I'm reading in the Bible in the past, it's because I have not taken it literally enough. Yeah, you know, all prophecy in the Bible should be taken literally. Because every time, also, every time I read in the Bible where someone reading Bible prophecy, they take it as literal fact. Now, why are we studying this book? Why should we study prophecy? Did you know the Old Testament has 1,845 references to Christ's rule on the earth? There's 17 of the Old Testament books give prominence to Christ's rule on earth. In the New Testament, which has a total of 216 chapters in 27 books, there are 318 references to the second coming. The second coming is mentioned in 23 of the 27 books. And for every prophecy in the Old Testament relating to Jesus' first coming, there are eight treating his second coming. But yet, still, most people just assume that the future is just going to be a linear extrapolation of the present. In other words, you know, things are just going to go on exactly as it always has. But the Bible says it's not. And if you don't take the book of Revelation as, as being literal, you're going to run head on into several problems. There are the Messianic promises throughout the Old Testament. There is the prophesied destiny of Israel in God's covenant. There's the promise given to Mary by the angel Gabriel. There are numerous reconfirmations in the New Testament. And we're going to stop there. We'll come back next time and pick it up right there. Thank you for listening. This has been the perfect puzzle.